Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howey. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the CES Advanced Course. And our guest is an advanced course instructor and an old friend of mine. This is Mr. Lyle Adams, and it is a real pleasure to welcome Lyle to into the Leader Up world. And uh, we've worked together uh, for years, both in the basic course and the intermediate course. And so, Lyle, welcome to Leader Up, and thank you for being here today. Well, thank you very much, David. It's an honor to be able to to represent Mr. Hawkins and all the uh, advanced course faculty in this interview. And I value this opportunity. Thank you very much. And so I'm looking forward to hearing more about the uh, CES advanced course uh, just for the leader up audience out there. I've, I've taught many years in the basic course and the intermediate course, and I've taught just pieces uh, in the advanced course, but not the whole thing. So I'm learning uh, as much about this topic as uh, the folks in the Leader Up audience will today after this podcast. And so, Lyle, let's just start big picture um, about the advanced course, what it is, who the students are, and kind of what good comes out of, of the advanced course. Sure. Um, well, first off, the target audience for the CES advanced course is Army civilians in the grades of uh, 13, 14, and 15. Some of them are supervisors. It's not a requirement to be a supervisor, but supervisors get priorities of the seats. It's a four-week course. Um, It's currently running right now, both in resident and uh, mobile team out in Picatinny, New Jersey, and some uh, virtual classrooms also, which I'm participating in. Um, Generally, we think of the advanced course as an experience, inside an experience, where not only are they getting, um, uh, not only are they getting the benefit of 24 some lessons academically, but they also work in individually in small groups and in seminar groups uh, for experiences associated with those lessons, along with a couple bigger projects to kind of test the metal of the group dynamics and also to make sure the 16 or 18 students in the seminar are learning from each other in an adult learning environment. And so let's start with um, the the individual assignments that are in uh, the advanced course. And I want to start with, on the individual assignments, the first thing I'd like to talk about are what, what I refer to as personality instruments. And so what are they, uh, and the, the ones that are in the advanced course, what are they, what benefits are they, and how are they different? Because the advanced course uses a number of, of instruments. Absolutely. Um, the first part of the course, we focus on personal awareness. In fact, that is the theme of the first week. And basically, we're trying to provide the students a lot of opportunities to see themselves. So we provide a lot of experiences and a lot of tools to put them in a position where they're kind of holding a mirror up to see who they are. And then we're also establishing some feedback opportunities 
So they're getting perspectives on themselves from, from other people to include the faculty. We offer eight uh, personnel instruments in the advanced course. A couple of those are embedded in the core curriculum. One is called the Strength Deployment Inventory, um, or SDI, which is a online instrument that involves helping people understand the motivations they have if they go into conflict. Also part of the core curriculum is one called the Code Learning Style Inventory, KLSI. It has to do with helping people understand how they discover or learn the world and their preferences. And then there's a package of four that we've recently uh, included in the core curriculum under the Army's Athena project, um, which maybe you've heard about. But basically, the Athena project is kind of a wholesale operation where the Army uh, invested in several instruments, and they're asking uh, both professional military education and civilian military education to incorporate them in the experience. And those, um, the ones we're doing in the advanced course, are called the Individual Adaptability Measure, the Self-Awareness and Individual Difference Inventory, the Systems Thinking Scale, and then Leader 360. So the first three of those generates a report for the students to gain some understanding about themselves. And then the, the fourth one, Leader 360, we're actually helping the students establish their 360 account and having them load in some folks that can provide uh, perspectives on them by email invitation. And then they will have this uh, account for them the rest of their career. And then there's two other electives um, that have been long-term in the, in the CES courses that we have incorporated into some electives that the students can pick from. And one is uh, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, MBTI, and the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, which is another uh, instrument that helps folks understand how they react when they go into conflict. So that pretty much covers the gambit of instruments that we uh, offer in the advanced course, Dave. And what, what do you see as, as an advanced course instructor, what do you see come out of that for the students that's useful or helpful to them? Well, as we explain, um, all these instruments are based on theory, you know, where someone took a good portion of their life to determine some cause and effect relationship, you know, in, in human dynamics. So we offer it as something for them to consider, right? Um, and it's it's just it provides eight more possibilities for them to just get a perspective on themselves so they can understand you know how they go about life how they see life what are their priorities how do they tend to think you know how do they tend to process information so it's just another opportunity for them to kind of unpack themselves while they're here to get a better understanding of why they interact the way they do and what does that mean to their leadership capabilities? And another uh, individual activity that you do in the advanced course is, is individual coaching. And wh just what does that look like and what kind of benefits come out of that? Yeah, that's another good question. Thanks for asking. So generally, we have 16 students in a seminar. Sometimes there's 17, sometimes there's 18. But generally, the course is designed for 16 and it's taught, as are all the CES courses, team teaching with another uh, instructor. So we, um, we divide up the students, um, half uh, in, in charge of one 
instructor and half under the other. And we, we set up a schedule so we're individually sitting down with each student um, for about 30 minutes to 40 minutes. And faculty have quite a bit of liberty on the style of how they want to approach this session, but generally many of them do this this way. Um, one thing we talk about is some early entries they made in their leadership journal um, with regard to establishing goals, strengths, and weaknesses, and they do a little skill inventory. So we take those initial thoughts they have from week one, and we're doing these in week three. We do individual coaching in week three, and we kind of chat with them about, you know, how is your goals going considering you've been here now and you're halfway through the course. We also look at their instruments. Um, specifically, we look at um, the SDI, the KLSI instruments to have a deeper discussion to make sure that they understand what the reports say, even though they've also uh, been exposed to the reports in a lesson. Um, the Athena reports are confidential. We don't get, the way the Army designed it is we don't get input. They can share with us but we don't get their reports. Um, by then we would have graded their essays. Um, they do a leadership philosophy essay, which I think we're gonna talk about more in a little bit. So we can talk to them about the content and what we learned as far as their ability to write. Uh, also during the a course, they do a progressive plan called an individual development plan that talks to their professional future and personal future actually. So this runs the entire course. So they're about three weeks into that plan. So we'll share with them um, some thoughts with regard to their plan. We'll kind of look at their entire career. You know, where are they at in their career? What are their plans? And um, what, one key question is, what's their next professional development event after they finish the advanced course? Uh, many students um, are, have that locked in and they're excited to to make that next move, many students need some help in understanding what professional development opportunities are available. And yeah, I would like to talk about that uh, leader philosophy paper, what, what that looks like and what the benefit is of that and, and what kind of guidance uh, they get the students receive to, to put that together. Yes, sure. Well, one thing we feel we have an obligation to measure with regard to senior Army leaders is their ability to communicate, you know, through the written, the written language. So one goal of assigning them to do this as a requirement is to measure their ability to write professionally. Um, some are comfortable with that, some are not. Um, so sometimes we have to tailor and mentor to wherever the students at. But the other reason is for them to codify and put in writing what we call their leadership philosophy. Uh, this is due week two, so by then they've been exposed to leadership doctrine, uh, a, a full wealth of uh, instruments, um, and many, many experiences that help them come up with descriptors of both good and poor leadership. So the goal is that they look at themselves and they decide what's important to me from a leadership perspective, almost as if they were writing a paper to introduce themselves to maybe a new workforce. And they wanted to kind of jumpstart their ability to be influential. Um, far as the technical, it's a 500 word minimum. Most essays are probably 750 or so, a couple pages. We educate them in the five paragraph format. Uh, we encourage them to use active versus passive voice. 
and to use first person versus second or third person where they're actually um, owning the language and most people aren't used to writing in first person so it's to get them to own their leadership philosophy from their perspective and um, each uh, uh, their papers are evaluated and scored out by a um, faculty member they have to receive a certain minimum score of 80 um, which already puts it as a high and a high standard. Thank you. And so when you say um, uh, write in the first person versus second or third, I think what you're saying is um, instead of saying great leaders listen to their people or something like that, uh, you would encourage them to say, I, it's my goal to listen to my people, something along those lines. Exactly. First person is I, me, my, mine. And third person is talking about a leader. In other words, some great leader across the room, as if you're writing a handbook for somebody else, but not actually sharing your own your own personal um, leadership uh, beliefs. Uh, right, because when uh, if, if they eventually do share that with people that they work with, uh, it's much more powerful when it's about them, not, not a, a, uh, objective treatise about leadership and not about them personally. I remember we, 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 uh, encouraged that in the basic course when we had that activity there as well, when you and I were teaching together. And so that's all, um, kind of, uh, the stuff about them, the self-awareness piece, but there's, there's also an individual assignment about their organization. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, where they, they see a problem or a challenge in their organization and they, they attempt to define it and come up with some way to deal with it. And just what is that activity and and what is that all about? Yeah, we're really excited about uh, this. We, we instituted this about a year ago and it's part of a lesson referred to as AC. 412. The title is Force Management. And students are required to do this as a pre-course event. And we want them to do it as a pre-course event because they're actually searching out and writing about an issue or challenge that they have in their organization. And we encourage them to talk to peers, talk to their boss, maybe talk to a couple of people, a couple levels up, you know, say, I'm going to be going to the advanced course. And they want me to, you know, find a specific, unique challenge we're having at our workplace and to write about it. And they write an information paper and they, they lay out some specifics, facts and assumptions and uh, things going on with regard to that problem. And they have to do that ahead of time. So that's all taken care of before the course starts. And then deeper in the course, actually during uh, the second week, when we, when we do um, that lesson 412, this is how it progresses. First, the students receive a lesson on Army Force Management, which is also oftentimes called How the Army Runs, or the acronym HTAR, which includes uh, four main phases of how the Army changes itself at, at the highest levels. And those are the Joint Capabilities Integration and Development System, force development, defense acquisition system, and planning, programming, budgeting, and execution. So 
they get a, a whole afternoon of these uh, lessons, and we provide them a lot of information about the Army Force Management process. And then what they do is we split the uh, seminar in half. So there's about eight or nine students in each group, and they go in for a couple hours, and they share their individual issue or challenge amongst those uh, eight or nine students. And then after they've done that, and that's just basically to get some perspective and to start thinking about how the issues can be melted into the what they've been exposed to. And then they go work uh, into their four uh, separate small groups. Now we call the small groups virtual learning groups. They're called VLGs and they're sometimes fondly referred to as villages. So each small village has four or five students. So they go back into their villages now that they've been exposed to a wider range of issues from other students, and they need to decide which of the organizational challenges of the students within their village do they want to make their village project. So they decide one of the four or five in their, in their, in their village. And this is happening in all four villages or all four small groups. And then they have time to work based on some instructions to take their issue as a seminar, as a, as a small group, and uh, be prepared to present how they're making the connection between that particular organizational issue and the force, Army Force Management curriculum that they received earlier in the week. So we want them to take that, that ground level issue and somehow make the connection to the 30,000 foot view from the Army. And um, then they present those to each other, which even it deepens the learning. That's how that works. And so the, yeah, I wanted to move on to the, the small groups. We talked about the individual work. And so the small groups, you said they're, they're four to five students in composition. Um, mm-hmm. So do they, do you keep them together during the entire uh, four weeks of the advanced course? That's an excellent question. And in resident, we always encourage them to switch every week. But we found out when we got into virtual. Um, that was a little, it was a bridge a little bit too hard to get the group dynamics restarted. So where we're at now is um, at a midpoint, basically the end of the second week, we, we put at the students' feet the decision to whether they continue in their virtual groups or whether they change. The original virtual groups are loaded by the instructors now based on the diversity in, in the, the background within the classroom. Um, oftentimes, uh, the students will decide to stay in the same groups because they're comfortable with them. But we make sure that they understand that this is a real depth brush, breath issue. Do they want to stay with the same three or four people to get to know them deeper? Or do they want to scramble it up and go for the breath where they get to get to know more people, but not as deep? Um, we just make sure that they make a decision uh, based on using their decision process so they come to an agreement on how they want to do the back end of the course. And oftentimes they do take comfort in the villages that they already have. Um, and as far as how, how do we use the small groups? Well, Many of our lessons have a uh, small group activity that's embedded in the lesson uh, as, as sort of a mini practical exercise. And uh, when we 
we, when we send them off to go to easels, I guess it's what we normally do in the resident, in virtual we send them to uh, Blackboard Ultra Collaborate collaboration rooms. Uh, each small group or village has uh, one of the collaboration rooms of the four assigned to that seminar for them to go to. So oftentimes we will send them off with specific instructions for 15 or 20 minutes to do small group work in their villages, or we use another feature in Blackboard Collaborate Ultra called the breakout room feature where we can randomly put them in groups, usually pairs or triads, where we build a temporary walls around them and create a classroom for them to be together for again, 10 or 15 minutes and then we pull them back by vaporizing those walls and we pull them back into the main virtual room. Over. Uh, yes, Roger that. Thank you. And the we talked about the individual assignments and the uh, the small group, but there's also work that they do that the students do at the seminar level, which could be anywhere from 15, 16, 17, possibly 18 students. And what kind of activities are in that category that are worked on as the entire seminar? Yeah. So as you can see, we, 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 we distinctively scaffold from personal in the early weeks to um, smaller groups uh, in the second week. And then towards the end of the second week and into the third week, we're starting to make the assumption that they can handle uh, big projects because now they're starting to show um, dynamic strength at the seminar level. And they do two events at the seminar level. One I've already spoken to um, was AC 412, uh, which is the How the Army Runs Force Management, where they had taken their organizational problem and ran it, shared it, worked it in their villages, and then presented it to each other. And the other big event they do at the seminar level is um, called AC 415, which has to do with Army design methodology. And we do that in the third week. And that is a seminar-centric practical activity where the students receive a lesson on Army design methodology and then work through an assigned project to determine if the Army Civilian Corps is ready to support the Army of the future, uh, specifically multi-domain operations and any other futuristic guidance that the Army may have in strategic planning documents. During this process, they do a couple in-progress reviews as they're building their products which they um, share with other seminars um, to get a perspective on their work. And then ultimately they present a formal brief um, towards the end of, well, first, I guess it's first part of the fourth week to another faculty member um, who is playing the role of an army civilian leader, SES, receiving the seminars outcome of how they wrestled with this this question of is the Army Civilian Corps ready um, to help support the Army's future expectations? And one other, uh, there's one other activity that I believe they do as a, a seminar, and I just would like to hear you address that. It's a charter. And what is that? What does it look like? And how, and when is it done? And how is it beneficial? Yeah. So, um, from a content point of view, we ask them to do a charter 
to establish some mutual expectations for the course and some rules of engagement for the classroom. I mean, as you can imagine, bringing together 18 senior Army civilians into any classroom, be it resident, be it a mobile classroom, be it virtual, um, it, takes some, it takes some special rigging to help them come together as uh, a unified group heading in the same direction. So um, it builds upon some earlier events that we have them do before we ask them to do the charter. They individually lay out their achieves and avoids for the course. You know, what do they want to get out of the course? What do they not want to see in the course? Okay. And they do that individually. And then they also do that at the village level. They do that at the small group level. They're synchronizing as a, as a team of four or five. What's the things they want to achieve and what's the things they'd rather not see happen? They'd rather avoid in a classroom. And then from the seminar's perspective, they go up one more notch and that scaffolds up to them creating a charter, which is a written document that lays out what their mutual goals are, what their mutual expectations are, um, what roles or responsibilities might they need to establish uh, in order to to help manage the classroom, um, what's uh, some um, ways they're going to uh, participate in the classroom, um, whether it's virtual or whether it's a, a brick and mortar, you know, what's some things they're going to hold themselves to to make sure that it's a healthy, safe adult learning environment. And there's one thing that is very unique about the advanced course that is not uh, in any of the other courses, and that is the presence of the uh, SESs, the members of the Senior Executive Service. And just talk about what what that looks like, um, what the SESs do, and what the benefit is for the students. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we're really proud of the SES um, Mentor Engagement Program. It's probably been around about six years. Um, the overall goal is having 13s, 14s, and 15s as students. Their next bridge for those that want to continue to um, raise to higher levels of responsibility, particularly for 14s and 15s, would be to consider um, senior executive service, um, SES, um, uh, taking on that next step. So we believe it's important to ex expose them to some real SESs to help answer those questions or alleviate those fears that they might have, because many have never engaged with an SES, nor do they understand how do you get to be an SES. So in this second and fourth week, in all our modalities, whether it's resident, um, out at a mat, mobile, mobile team, or in virtual, we have an SES assigned for week two and week four to join us. Now, they break away from their normal schedule, um, and they will either be TDY, stay in a hotel, and actually physically be in the classrooms at Leavenworth, or they will be joining us as a virtual guest. But during week two and week four, um, the SES visit the classrooms on a set schedule, so they join us in the academic en endeavor and to help us expand that, that conversation. And then also um, the rest, part of their time, there's a schedule where there's 20 minute mentoring appointments where students can optionally, voluntarily 
sign up for these times to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the SES. Now, unfortunately, there's not enough uh, slots for every student, particularly if we have a high amount of seminars. So it's first come, first serve. But usually those that are eager seek it out and satisfy um, what they want to get from talking to the SES. And also in the second week, that SES uh, hosts what's called an enterprise-wide perspective session um, where we bring all the students together, whether it's in the auditorium at uh, Eisenhower, whether it's in the virtual big room in virtual, or whether it's in a gathering room at the Met, we bring them all together and the SES presents an enterprise-wide perspective um, laying out his or her view of SES life. And they usually also have some leadership tenets that they usually share. Um, and then depending on where they're from, you know, maybe they're from Army Material Command, maybe they're from um, Army uh, Corps of Engineers, they may have a certain flavor that they talk to based on where they're coming from. And then in the fourth week, that SES, beyond doing mentoring appointments and classroom visits, also serves as the guest speaker for our graduation, again, regardless of what modality we're in. Any other questions with regard to the SES program? Well, just to comment, I think it's it's a great program, and I'm I'm also in, in awe of it. Uh, just not only from the benefit that the students get from listening to that uh, SES, but also the benefit that the SES gets in kind of hearing um, input uh, feedback directly from leaders at that 13, 14, 15 level. I, I think that's it's an amazing. Uh, an amazing phenomenon that goes on there. Yeah, you're, you're correct. You're correct. I mean, oftentimes the SES is, they walk away uh, with uh, per perspectives and reactions to CES and AMSC in general. That's benefit for the, it's very beneficial for them to go back to their corner of the army and um, share, share their reaction to what they oftentimes say is, is a, just an incredible professional development academic opportunity. Yeah. And my, and my guess is that they probably hear things that uh, they may not hear uh, in any other context. Just my guess about that. Well, absolutely. Oftentimes the, uh, we remind the students that, you know, the discussions in the classrooms are for non-attribution. In other words, um, what, what stays, what's said in there stays in there. And it's, it's a safe place to share thoughts. Of course, we always discourage associating any stories with people's direct names, but, you know, and, and sometimes the, 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 uh, that benefits the SESs with an opportunity to have frank conversations. And so let's, let's talk about, uh, the future, uh, of the advanced course. And, um, we are, I'd, I'd like to point out to our leader up audience, we are recording this in May of 2022. And, um, the advanced course and the intermediate course uh, and the basic course also are coming out of basically two years of almost all virtual uh, classrooms. And we have just recently uh, here in the late spring of uh, 2022 started in person back. Uh, but the future is going to possibly see a blending of resident 
virtual and uh, what we call METs. And so, uh, Lyle, can you just talk about what the future vision of the advanced course is for those three different modalities? Absolutely. Um, it seems wrong to find a, a diamond in the rough when we go into COVID. But if there's one thing that was productive, at least from an academic point of view, it caused us to take coming up with the virtual experience very seriously, which we did across all the courses to include the advanced schools. And I was fortunate to be part of that two years ago to help craft that. And um, now that we are, I don't know if we're post-COVID, but we're definitely going back into the building. Uh, right now, uh, we are in, this is the first time, as you mentioned, David, in over two years where we are simultaneously conducting resident seminars in Eisenhower Building at Fort Leavenworth, five of them, virtual seminars online here, three of them, and then three seminars in classrooms uh, under the mobile education team umbrella at Picatinny Arsenal. So we are going to continue to do virtual seminars. Um, we're not going to put it on the shelf. We need to keep it alive. Uh, students uh, receive it. There's a high demand for virtual seminars. It's very handy for some students that have various responsibilities um, under their under their roof at home, um, or for some reason they don't like to fly, or they they just the circumstances are good for them. Um, plus, we don't know what the future holds. Um, if for some reason we have to turn off resident, be it at Eisenhower or be it at a Met, then we can we can. We can expand virtual uh, to the size we've had it before, where we've almost had like 16 seminars virtually before. So it gives us a lot of flexibility. The other thing it helps us with is if a student um, falls prey to COVID or anything else, actually, that would pull them out of the resident classroom and they would have to go back in their hotel. We could actually tell that student to plug into a, a, a the, the ongoing virtual seminars and join um, that a classroom online and they wouldn't miss, meet to, miss too many beats to try to, to keep their curriculum rolling. So we're looking at that plug and play option too, um, you know, not knowing what the future is going to hold. And so Lyle Adams, I want to thank you for your time uh, on Leader Up and talking to our audience. And I, I'm just going to ask you one Final question. This is kind of our, our walkaway question um, about the benefit of the advanced course, resident, virtual, or met. If I'm a GS 13 uh, supervisory budget analyst out there at an Army Depot and uh, I'm being asked to give up four weeks of my time uh, to attend the advanced course, what's my motivation? What What am I going to uh, get out of this experience that's going to help my organization and make me uh, a better member of the Army Civilian Corps? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, first off, the fact that the Army believes in professional development so deeply that they will take 13s, 14s, 15s out of pocket for a month to give them a supercharged opportunity to re rethink their ability to as, as a leader is phenomenal. I mean, you'd never see this on outside the gate. So the value of that, regardless of the modality is incredible. Now inside the experience, um, the benefits are 
first off, you're in an adult learning environment that's safe. You're going to be with strangers, but you're going to be with Army professionals from all walks of Army life, be it medical, be it logistics, be it IT, be it cyber, and on and on and on. You're going to be mixed up with all these different kinds of people with an incredible background. I mean, the math alone says there's probably three or 400 years of experience in any seminar. And that just enriches and opens up the opportunity to learn from each other. And also, you're in, an, you're in a place where you're going to, uh, by virtue of the experience, you're going to walk away with uh, 15 new friends. And you can, you'll be able to network those, with those folks into the future uh, and celebrate good times and, and, and you know, reach out for strength during challenges, whether it's professional or whether it's personal. So it, it can't be traded for anything else. Um, are there some benefits to being virtual versus being resident versus being in a met, a mobile? Absolutely. Um, they each have their, 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 their many, many values and their unique values. But all in all, it's about being in the classroom. And what you can walk away from is such a valuable experience. Okay. Thank you, Lyle. I really do appreciate uh, your time, my old friend. Thank you for coming to the Leader Up World and talking about the CES Advanced Course. It's been my honor, and I'm glad I could represent uh, uh, a small corner of the AMSC professionals. Thank you very much. So there it is, uh, Leader Up audience. That's that's our discussion today about the CES Advanced Course. Have you done it? Uh, is it your grade-appropriate CES course? If you haven't done it, are you motivated to do it, to sign up? And um, if the advanced course isn't your course, uh, what is yours? And are you taking steps to complete your grade appropriate CES course? Join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.